Listening Dog Media. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan, and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Offside Rule podcast. And coming up on this episode, we're going to talk number one giant killers in the FA Cup. I'm distracted because Hayley McQueen is actually twiddling. It's a wand, isn't it? (laughs) It's a diamante wand, Lindsay. And you're in a beautiful little tiara looking like a princess. That's because we're in Princess Molly's room, aren't we, Kate? We are. We've borrowed my daughter's bedroom, which is about two foot by four foot, bless her, to record this because it's the most soundproof place that we can find today. (laughs) Yeah, we've had one of those weeks. Uh, So as I was saying, number one giant killers. Um, On Saturday, there were no big giant killings at all in the FA Cup, apart from the only real upset being that the current holders, Wigan, knocked out Crystal Palace. And that was the only big story from the weekend. So we want to actually get behind the underdogs once more, which is making us reflect on giant killers. Then for topic three, I liked how I came up with this, subdivisions. It's a play on words. We'll explain it when we get to topic three, but it does make sense later. Uh, again, themed around the FA Cup. But the first topic isn't an FA Cup theme. It's actually to do with a big money move, the one that everyone has been talking about this week. One matter going to Manchester United. First of all, your reaction to that signing, Hayley McQueen. Brilliant. I'd have preferred a central midfielder. I'd have preferred somebody to try and replace a pole scores, but I'm not going to be um, dismissive of that. I think it's a great signing and off the back of just a torrid time at the moment for United. Um, I think it's kind of given everyone a bit of a lift. Before I explain what this topic is, are you slightly distracted by the fact that I'm wearing this tiara? Because I can, every now and again, I see you looking at it. Shall I remove it? I like it. I'm just thinking how I can wangle this into my everyday job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is what I want to know. Um, one matter's move from Chelsea to Man United was completed and there's been an outcry from Chelsea fans if you've been on Twitter or you've got a Twitter account lots are so sad in fact hashtag matter morning was something that I even used um, it seemed to be that everyone was sort of just agonising over the midfielder going despite going to a Premier League rival they are wishing him well he has the fans blessing so what I wanted was one or two instances when this has happened before a player moving on with the blessing of fans from their previous clubs so Hayley we'll start with you who'd have bet 
that when Kaká went to Real Madrid, he'd have been a flop. OK, he wasn't quite a flop. He had injuries. At Real Madrid, Mourinho just didn't seem to want to play him. It was a real, real shame. It is the curse of Jose Mourinho. Who'd have thought at the time... It was a record signing. He'd gone in and Benzema followed and then you had Cristiano Ronaldo and it was like, wow, nobody is going to beat this Real Madrid side. Briefly mentioned him in Centurions last week, uh, which was one of our topics because he's now got 100 goals for AC Milan. Six so far this season, adding to the tally that he had before he left when he joined Real Madrid. Um, So 2009, he went there with much excitement. He made all the headlines all over the world. 65 million euros he went for and it was actually a highest transfer fee at the time, only behind the of 75 million euros. Um, It was a very ambitious move. He was very much part of Florentino Perez's plans of rebuilding a new team and trying to get that Champions League back to the Bernabeu. Um, He had to endure a really tough period um, of his career. And he left, and it was a bit of a shame because he left having injury-plagued season. This is the player that won the Ballon d'Or just two seasons before, world player of the year, highest scorer in Italian football, won the golden boot. But he just plummeted Dan Mourinho's pecking order. And who'd have thought just a couple of seasons before that when this record signing was made, the Kaká would have to end up leaving on a free and going back to AC Milan and actually playing for free. He gave up his wages just to play football to prove to the fans fans at AC Milan who already loved him anyway that he was doing it for the good of playing football and the Real Madrid fans accepted that they accepted the fact that the manager was holding him back at Real Madrid and there were banners wishing him well of course in in the games that followed saying good luck Kaká. We seem to have a running theme here between us of uh, fans with Mourinho as the manager giving players that he lets go their blessing (laughs) Um, because I'm going to actually come in with the Mourinho one as well I just thought I'm going to stick with Chelsea seeing as there's the matter move I'm going to stick with them and give you two more names one of them you're probably going to mouth as I say it Romelu Lukaku of course and the other being Daniel Sturridge so these two make less sense to me than letting Juan Mata go. Because at least in midfield, Chelsea, they're spoiled for choice, aren't they? But in front of goal, they're far from clinical. But up front, it's not really like Chelsea are like drowning in options, is it, at all? They've got an, an ageing Eto, a hard-working but misfiring Torres, who's never been able to recreate the goal-scoring form he had at Liverpool. And then failing that, there's Demba Barr, who can come off the bench, who so far hasn't recreated the goal-scoring form he had at Newcastle. Um, so what's happening? Yesterday's FA Cup clash with Stoke yesterday afternoon, they dominated the game. If you're looking at the statistics, I don't know them off the top of my head, but in terms of possession, um, they were way up there over Stoke, but they only scored once through Oscar's free kick. And I think that highlighted the lack of firepower. It's two midfielders, Hazard and Oscar, who are leading goal scorers for the club with 10 and 9 goals. So they're missing a talisman, a 15 to 20 goal a season player. So why let Romelu Lukaku go to Everton on loan? I'm wondering that. And prior to that, why let Daniel Sturridge go to Liverpool Um, as it happens if you're interested in in what their figures are at the moment Daniel Sturridge has 14 goals for Liverpool and Lukaku's got 9 goals for Everton Mm. so both players they left the club with the fans blessing because I think both players uh, are deemed to be I think they thought they were going to be part of the long term plans at one point so um, the fans are hoping maybe Lukaku returns next season or failing that what I'm going to suggest is maybe they reinvest in a winger that they let go in 2007 a certain iron Robin, who was nominated for this year's Ballon d'Or. He was man of the match at last year's Champions League final, got 23 goals in the league last season and so far this season, 12.
12 goals in all competitions, which beats both Oscar and Hazard at the moment. So that's what they need. They need some firepower. I'm sticking with Chelsea and Mourinho. Kate? I mean, you can talk for a long time, can't you, about players leaving clubs blessing, especially when when they're not getting enough uh, game time. And if we look at Manchester City, we can find loads here because, of course, they've got such a big squad. Many of the players, many of the English players as well, don't get enough game time. Gareth Barry going from City to Everton. Wayne Bridge, when he left City to go to Brighton, did really well on loan at Brighton, didn't he? In fact, he went on quite a few loan moves from City. Uh, Wayne Bridge, an interesting one, because just before coming in here, we were just looking at how many loan moves he had. He had quite a few. And one of the things is he's now at Reading. Why would you go from Brighton to Reading? There must be something there behind the scenes. Maybe he wasn't offered another contract at Brighton. I think maybe length of contract, um, stability of the club. Who knows? Remember, Brighton had lost its manager. I, I mean, you don't know how well um, Wayne Bridge got on with uh, the manager there. So a lot of respect, though, to Wayne Bridge. I remember I didn't really know that move had happened until I saw him pop up and I was like, Wayne Bridge, is it Brighton? What? What's happening here? <laughs> and then I kind of realised and thought, yeah, respect to him. Because not enough players do that. Not mm. enough players think, right, I want to actually play football and just take the plunge instead of just sitting on the bench and waiting for an opportunity that quite often doesn't happen. The point is, though, it's the point of no return, isn't it? Wayne Bridge leaves City, goes to Brighton, and he's still in the Championship now. Once you leave the, the Premier League for the Championship, unless your club gets promoted, it's, it's unlikely that you'll be back in the Premier League. Well, this is why I'm, I'm wondering so much because I would have thought at the moment in the current climate I know Reading were a very good team a few seasons ago but I would have thought he'd have had more chance of doing that with Brighton mm-hmm. a couple more to mention Ronaldo Cristiano Ronaldo leaving United and I think as you were saying Hayley United fans already felt that they'd got the best out of him he left on the back of not such a good season at United the season before he'd scored that 42 goals and come in for a tremendous amount of accolades I think a bit like Alonso at Liverpool he was strongly linked with moving about a year before he did and in that final year it was almost like countdown to him going and the fans became used to the fact that that player would probably go they knew that other clubs were sniffing around and in both cases Real Madrid uh, I think Ronaldo wanted to leave Manchester United to go to Real Madrid I don't think Xabi Alonso wanted to necessarily leave Liverpool but he was annoyed by the manager at the time courting of other players like he'd got that transfer kitty mm-hmm. in already so of course Xabi Alonso made that move also in 2009 to Real Madrid for 30 million it's not very often big name players in the prime of their careers ever leave clubs like Liverpool, Manchester United and, and Chelsea. It is a very rare thing. Mm. He might have left with the with the fans blessing, Alonso, but um I think the fans and I think most people would agree that was a stupid move by uh, the Liverpool manager. Stupid move. Uh, Darren Bent going from uh, going to Sunderland from Spurs, of course, after that comment by Harry Redknapp about Darren Bent, about his wife, Sandra, uh, being able to score a goal that Darren Bent couldn't. And there was another one of them at the weekend, which I'll mention later on. Good old Darren Bent. Roberto Martinez, we were having a quick chat about this earlier, weren't we, Lindsay? Uh, he went from Swansea to Wigan with the fans' blessing, went from Wigan to Everton, of course, taking Wigan down, uh, relegating them. Not completely personally, but of course he was in charge of a team that was relegated and then going to Everton. I think that I think that, that the fans said, well, fair enough, really. Although you would argue, Linz, that perhaps the fans might have said, well, hang on a minute, this guy's relegated us and they've jumped 
jump ship at the first uh, at the first hurdle. Yeah, I think I think my point with that is that actually we all know the case and we all know that Roberto Martinez did an absolutely brilliant job at Wigan. That's why he got this big money move and, and went up to Everton and, and is doing very well there because he kept a side that wasn't really and isn't really set up for Premier League football in the Premier League for many seasons. He avoided the drop with them, didn't he? Two, three seasons on the bounce. And that's what got him the plaudits. But on paper, if you were to read that abroad and you were in the middle of Bundesliga, you know, a fan who watches Bundesliga and you were reading about it and you see oh, actually a team that got relegated and that manager has gone to one of the top six to eight teams it does look a bit odd doesn't it I'm Gary Neville and you're listening to the Offside Rule uh, we'll move on to topic number two next uh, we're going to go with an FA Cup theme girls because of the FA Cup being at the weekend so I wanted number one giant killers from you um, in particular we had a shortage of the underdogs this season doing well in the fourth round so there weren't any really big shocks apart from, from Wigan knocking out Premier League opposition let's go on to number one giant killers of all time in the FA Cup I want you to justify your favourite upset over the years it can be anyone but you have to tell me why it's the best ever uh, you're going to have to really convince us on this one starting with Hayley mine is a team that used to be great I mention them quite often on the podcast uh, because they are Leeds United not quite the mighty Leeds that they once were but they were at the very top of the first division the old first division taking on Colchester who are at the bottom tier of English football In the fourth division at that time, it finished up Colchester 3, Leeds 2. That's right, in the fifth round as well. And they took on Leeds United that had reached the final the season before. And actually the season after this, they won the FA Cup. But this was a horror cup competition and a horror match sandwiched in between both of these um, FA Cups. So yes, they lifted the trophy 12 months later, but this was a horror show. It was a team that actually had Norman Hunter, Johnny Giles, Jack Charlton, all the greats. They fielded a strong starting eleven. These were back in the days where you didn't have fringe players coming. You had your first eleven, and it was like the big game that you look forward to and of course a lot more focus on the FA Cup back then. You're really selling this one. So 3-2 it ended up. Yeah. Are we talking was it was it to the death? Was it dra- late drama? Was it 2-2 and then they score the winning goal? What happened? They were 3-0 up <gasps> and Leeds managed to get two back. They absolutely stormed it. They nicknamed the side afterwards Dad's Army and this, this made back page headlines. <laughs> they were old. They were. They were all, I don't know what the average age of the starting 11 was. I struggled to find that out yes but this was in 1971 dick graham was the manager at the time and the tactics were they made sure the pitch was narrow they even Mm. had temporary seats and benches put in by the touch lines to kind of hem leads in even further so they were a team of veterans um called dad's army and said it suited them that the pitch was small said because we couldn't run around like them and dick planned it like that and those were our only tactics so there you have it. So how did Colchester do after that? Did they progress? Did they get through to a final? No. They lost to Everton, another actually big, big side back then as well. Um, in the quarterfinal, they lost them 5-0. So they didn't quite manage to go out on a high. But Colchester, if you speak to a Colchester fan, a little bit older than us, because <laughs> this game didn't happen when any of us were born, believe it or not, Offside Rule podcast listeners, um, they will remember this game where Colchester beat the mighty Leeds United with a star-studded 11 back in 71. 
And very randomly, I started to collect Colchester United fans as friends and colleagues and things along the way. So I do know a few Colchester United fans, and I'm sure they would hold that in very high regard. I forgot to mention, this was Don Revy's lead as well. Mm. Big Don. Big Don. And I did forget to mention, I remember reading this, might be incorrect. He actually went into the dressing room afterwards. They were the away team, actually, Leeds. It wasn't at Ellen Road. And shook the hand of every single one of the players and the Mm. managers and wished them well. Kate, what's yours? I'll chip in with a quick Leeds one whilst we're giving them an absolute bashing. Uh, a couple of years later, 1973, Hayley, uh, Sunderland, who were at that time in the second division, beat Leeds 1-0 in the final of the FA Cup. So that caused a bit of an upset there. But I'm going to um, just move down and um, show you a little bit of final analysis that I've been doing. Oh. Because when I look back at the teams playing in the FA Cup final... More often than not, and we can all make, make this assumption anyway, one of the top four or five teams always in that final. And often they are the victors. We can look back last year, of course, pretty significant result, um, because for the first time in donkey's years, Wigan beat Manchester City. That was the first time that a, that a kind of a lesser team, uh, forgive me, Wigan fans. Yeah, um, or the non-favourites, yeah. Yeah, had gone on to be a major, major side. If you want to take a look at the last time that happened, we, you can have a look at Portsmouth, of course, winning the FA Cup back in uh, 2008 against Cardiff but at that time Cardiff were the lesser team it would be expected that Portsmouth won but we need to go back to 94-95 when Everton beat Manchester United 1-0 to cause an upset again a a non-favourite team beating one of the big sides Everton finished that season 15th in the league so that was pretty dicey for them uh, that year but did manage to walk away FA Cup winners Um, go back actually if you go back 21 finals from last year exclude that Portsmouth-Cardiff result. Then you've got to go back to one of the most infamous finals if you're a Liverpool fan for all the wrong reasons. 87-88, Wimbledon, the crazy gang beating Liverpool 1-0 in that final. A shocking result for Liverpool fans, but you've got to credit Wimbledon for the absolute spirit. Perhaps you won't credit them so much for the manner in which they won. Pretty contentious, but if you're a Liverpool fan, you'll never forget that one. Okay, Um, I'm just going to give you one then for number one giant killer. And I will state my claim, as Hayley did, with hopefully good vigour. Slightly later than Hayley's, uh, 1988-89 season we're talking. We're talking Sutton United versus Coventry. Now, Coventry, a team who've gone through much turmoil in the last few seasons. But do you remember the days when Coventry were flying high? side. Um, this is the era we're talking about. Um, an indication as well of perhaps how football's quality gap has widened over the years in the Premier League era. Uh, Sutton United remain to be the last non-league side to knock out top flight opposition. It's been over 20 years ago. Will it ever happen again? I don't know. Uh, Coventry had won the competition in what was a surprise in itself just about 18 months earlier. They were shocked when they went to the Borough Sports Ground to face Sutton United because goals from Tony Tony Raines and Matt Hanlon ensured a very memorable giant killing that, and this is the reason why I'm choosing this one, remains to be repeated. Wow. So there you are. I'm staking my claim for the 88-89 FA Cup year. Uh, I think it's time we take a break and find out what's been happening with this week's Twitter Topic of the Week. Twitter Topic of the Week. And there was me thinking that... Lindsay Hooper was going to give me loads of stick after Wolves beat City 3-1 at Molyneux. All those witty comebacks that I'd been planning all week are now going to go to waste. I'm sure we'll do another hiding scene. But anyway, let's get on with Twitter topic of the week. Now, this week's question was inspired from an interview Paolo Di Canio did uh, on Football Focus. 
where he basically just came out and just called out a bunch of his former players, calling them cowards. So we thought this week we'd ask you guys about your favourite managerial harsh words on their own players. Now, Di Canio's stand out in recent times, but what have other managers said in the past? Some really good responses for this one. Cheers to everyone who said across a tweet and also a video as well. Rob Kerr's gone for Phil Brown's infamous halftime pitch rant to his whole side against Man City. Uh, John Prowse has gone for Stuart Pearce, criticising uh, his England under-21 players of apathy at Euro 2013. Uh, the FA then came out and said he was a little bit out of order for saying that. Rob Dixon's gone for Keegan's rant about loving it if they beat United to the title when he was at Newcastle. Maybe not so harsh on his own players, but really putting the boots into United, that one. Richard Buxton's gone for my favourite as well. I don't think anything can beat John Sitton's infamous nonsense rant at Leighton Orient. Go and watch the YouTube video of that. It, you, you just can't, you can't believe what you're seeing. Not getting much managerial work as of late, is old John Sitton. Um, Thomas has sent over a good one uh, from Jimmy Nickel. Uh, he took over Millwall in 1996 and he said of the uh, on-loan Russian pair, Sergei Yuran and uh, Vasily Kolkov, that the only thing that the players could learn off them is how to steal a living. I'm going to be back next week with Twitter Topic of the Week. Thanks for everyone who's got involved and I will hand you back to the girls. Thanks very much for that, Sean. Uh, on to topic number three then, girls. Uh, subdivisions. I'll explain this. I did hype it up, didn't I, at the start. Uh, the FA Cup saw many Premier League bench warmers get their chance to impress. Uh, but we saw quite a lot of these over the weekend. So I asked you both to pick a Premier League player from the latest round of FA Cup matches. So that's from the fourth round. That's given their manager a selection dilemma and one who did nothing to improve his chances of getting regular first team football. So a flop and a winner, starting with Hayley. I'm going with Lucas Podolski, right? Trying to get his way back into the side, really struggle with injury. He had a, a very solid game at the weekend, actually. He's already made his point in absolute style. Um, and now that Theo Walcott is out injured and going to miss the World Cup as well, Podolski is going to be the answer. And I think if Arsene Wenger isn't going to strengthen in this January transfer window with a striker, then they are going to need players like him. And he came on and showed at the weekend with his two goals, which are wonderful goals as well, to show that he isn't just a one-trick pony, two very different goals. He had a really great part to play in that win at the weekend um, to ensure that Wenger does have him in his plans. And he said he is a big fan of Podolski, of course, because he's his player and he plays underneath him. But it's goals like that that win the games. And it's players like Podolski Dolsky, who he needs to be fit, which I think, fingers crossed, hopefully he will be, to continue in a goal-scoring form. Um, I want your flop, but in order to do that, I'm going to save Sean Thorne a job, who edits this podcast, and Kate is a brilliant impersonator. Can we have a flop noise? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. So who's your flop? I've got Jack Rodwell, unfortunately. Sorry, Manchester City fans. Yep, has it only his fourth start of the season as um, City took on the championship side in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Showed real defensive problems. This is nothing to do with... Rodwell, of course, but defensively, Manchester City were like, oh, let's just take... No, they weren't. Mika Richards was going to be one of those that I was going to pick, but I thought I'll lay off him. Rodwell, real injury-hampered couple of years for him, not just this season, but when you've got someone like Yaya Torre in the side, when Rodwell is trying to come back and he's 
really showing that he's got a point to prove when you know that someone like Yaya Toure is occupying the position that you want to play, you haven't really got a chance, I'd have you? Up. I'd give up. I'd, I'd just pack my bag and, yeah. and go. <laughs> but he did. He, he struggled with pace. It could have been the fact that he's not quite 100% fit. Put in a few okay tackles, but I don't think he was wonderful. Pellegrini, he's not going to play him as a defender, box-to-box midfielder. That is the kind of role he would like to have um, and use his energy, I guess. He said, I would like to be able to play that role rather than be nailed on as a holding midfielder and just stay behind the ball. And I like to get forward as well. However, is he forgetting? Yes, they have Torre for that. And in that case, is it the wrong club? I mean, yeah. Torre is the only player that sort of does do that box-to-box role, isn't he? I mean, the, it's not the style of play that Pellegrini's opting for. He's at the wrong club. But this is a player who, a few years ago, we were tipping as one of the you know, great players to watch out for in a World Cup. But I, I, he's not going to make it this summer. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back <laughs> no more, no more, no more, no more. Are you still there, listeners? <laughs> oh, good. If you haven't uh, tuned out... Um, or if you're a Manchester City fan and you're fed up of me dissing your club, I'm very sorry about that. Yeah, they have injuries to Nasri and Navas as well. And I think he potentially needs to think about his future and, and just move on. He's going to need game time. He's going to need that fitness off the back of injury. But I really feel for him a little bit. He's at that age now where he needs to be playing. Well, I'm going to move on to Kate next. So how's your flop noise, Hayley? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, should we start with your flop? Let's start with the flop then. I've already mentioned him. I'm so sorry, Darren Bent, but you're going to get it in the, in the neck from me again. Do you know why? Because I was specifically looking for players who are bench warmers who didn't do anything to support their case as a bench warmer. And there are quite a few players who aren't necessarily bench warmers who get regular playing time who didn't do themselves many favours. But I've gone for Bent because he does fit that remit as a bench warmer. Um, since mid-December in the Premier League, he's started every game on the bench, coming on as a sub for most of them, uh, not being uh, used at all for another one of them, generally used in all games as a sub. Uh, came on as a sub against Sheffield United and what a howler. Two yards out uh, with a goal uh, pretty much open and saying, come and get me four minutes from full time. Bent hit his shot well high and wide to, um, well, to evoke memories of that wonderful miss. Uh, for Spurs and we've already mentioned what Harry Redknapp had to say about that and it's it's an old one but it will forever haunt poor Darren Bent so he on loan at Fulham from Aston Villa hard to believe you know he was bought by Villa three years ago for £18 million I just think his confidence is shot and that display at the weekend against Sheffield United would be evidence of that again, really. Let's give you a couple of quick highlights. John Stones uh, for Everton, 19 years old, English player, signed from Barnsley a year ago, played sporadically for Everton throughout the season, but performed really, really well in their win over Stevenage. Um, And I think Martinez will continue to show faith in him if he continues with these good performances. Dan Byrne, another English player, really, really pleased to be talking about these young young English players, actually, because because of the way that the Premier League set up, it's a shame that we need the FA Cup to actually actually highlight and the League Cup as well to sort of highlight English talent but Dan Byrne will go beyond these these cup competitions and I think because of Fulham's woeful defensive problems him and Breda Hangeland could well rescue Fulham's season um, Simon from Darlington in uh, July 2011 he was loaned to Birmingham City for the first part of this season but recall back and I don't think he'll go back out on loan because he's doing so well uh, Fulham's defence about as good as a pair of slippers walking up a mountain so uh, I think he's needed and I think he'll stay Can I have your Dan the Drain pump? Sort of flop noise again, please. 
I think I preferred the first one. Um, but I will start with my flop. Um, this guy already had his work cut out for me because as a goalkeeper, when you're deputising and you're the number two against Manuel Almunia, who I think is a brilliant goalkeeper for Watford, then when you get your chance, make sure you shine because otherwise you're probably not going to get in the team. Um, and I don't think Jonathan Bond has done much for his chances of getting regular first-team football. Um, he allowed... I mean, the, the big howler, of course, against Manchester City in the FA Cup was where it was really crucial, wasn't it? Because Watford had been 2-0 up. Hayley McQueen's on for a fortune yeah. after putting a five and down. Then Manchester City pulled two goals back. So it's 2-2. So the one time that you turn to your keeper and think, oh, don't no, make a massive mistake. Really picking on the poor lad. It was so unfortunate. <laughs> it was such a clangor, wasn't it? Yeah, but I'm not in this to be nice. I'm in this to say as it is. Um, what a what a clangor. Alexander Kolarov shot and it should have just been collected but no it squirms through Bond's grasp underneath him into the back of the net suddenly City are ahead 3-2 and then you're writing Watford off but not only that the actual fourth goal I felt like he was in completely the wrong position and did all the wrong things for Sergio Aguero's header that made it 4-2 and there were a couple of occasions that he just looked really unsettled and uncertain and I think to give him his due when you're a secondary goalkeeper, I think that happens, doesn't it? Because they don't get much game time to be able to try different things. And when you've got someone like Almunia who's getting ahead of you, um, I do think he's limited to chances and, and practice, really, because there's only so much you can do on the training field. So I do feel for him, but I had to pick him out. I'm sorry. Oh, lad. Now, my other, my success, or should we have a success noise? Hooray! <laughs> Great. Um, I'm going to go... For... Oh, brilliant. Hayley surpassed you on that one. Right. You're usually our sound effects woman. Now I'm going to go to Hayley McQueen from now on. Um, Gedeon Zalalem mm. is an Arsenal player, a very young Art Gunners player, just turned 17 recently. Uh, he actually came to my attention because I've started working at Liverpool TV and looking at Liverpool's youth squad, and we do quite a, lo- a lot with the under-21s and under-18s. And actually, Liverpool's youth setup's really strong. We've got a really good... I say we. Why am I saying we? Oh, my God, this is dangerous hoop. This is dangerous territory. You're going to join me on the dark side. Um, they have a very, very strong youth setup. So I was actually researching players to watch out for from opposition sides, and the Arsenal um, youngsters have got quite a good team. And this guy I'd got circled just on stats alone. So he was the first player born under Arsene Wenger's reign <laughs> at Arsenal to play for the Gunners. Uh, he's a German midfielder. Um, just turned 17 at the weekend. The big rumour is that he's going to be the next Fabregas at the club. Um, He's been offered his first contract and we're going to hear a lot more about him. He's a German youth international. He was born in Berlin, moved to the United States at just the age of nine, where he played for a a few different clubs before moving to Arsenal. And Ethiopia also have a claim on this gifted youngster because he hails from the African nation. So maybe we'll see him one day playing in the World Cup for Ethiopia. Um, So he's joined Arsenal's Academy. Uh, that happened in 2012 and he just basically keeps progressing. He caught the eye with quite a few performances, but I'm not going to sum all that up. I'll let Jack Wilshire do it because I found this quote. He says that Zalalem sees passes that not a lot of players can and he's so comfortable on the ball. Even in training, he's a nightmare to play against. He keeps the ball away from you. He shields it. He's not very big, but he's strong. He drifts in and out of players. Technically, he's right up there. He can use his left and his right and he sees so many passes. So that is the declaration from Jack Wilshire of One to Watch.
And before we bid farewell for this podcast, let's get a foreign roundup for this week, which comes in the form of Rhiannon Jones and all things La Liga. Hola, chicas. Well, it's turning out to be an exciting second half to La Liga with still just one point separating the top three. Real Madrid played first at the weekend, beating Granada 2-0 at the Bernabeu to go top for just over 27 hours. Ahead of that game, Cristiano Ronaldo presented his Ballon d'Or to his fans, which afterwards he told me was an amazing feeling. He then went on to score the opener, his 22nd La Liga goal of the season, and almost made it a brace from a superb overhead kick. Benzema doubled the lead with his third goal in three games, while Gareth Bale was taken off at half-time after receiving a rather eye-watering knock. Ancelotti has suggested, though, he'll be OK for Sunday's trip to San Mamés. Real Madrid can expect a tough clash there as Athletic Bilbao continue their fine form. They're now on 15 goals in the last three games played after beating Osasuna 5-1. Carlo Ancelotti's men are kept one point behind after wins two for Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. It was a comfortable derby win for Atleti as they put four past second from bottom Rayo Vallecano, who are now rooted in the relegation zone five points from safety. Meanwhile, a turbulent week that saw President Sandro Rossell resign didn't seem to put Barcelona off playing matters. With goals from Piquet, Pedro and Sanchez, they comfortably beat 15th-placed Malaga to reclaim top spot on goal difference. And so the battle at the top continues here in La Primera. I'll be back next month, but for now, adios. Thanks, Rhiannon. That's it for this week, girls. That was Topic 3 done and dusted. Mm. Can I just point something out? Look out, ladies. There's a new rap star on the horizon. <laughs> really? Yeah, you know, quite often we discuss footballers with other talents or careers after football. Ronaldinho has actually genuinely got a recording contract, not just for himself. He's going to appear in a song where he records rapping that you've never heard oh. or seen before with clips of him actually playing football over the top. It's quite a cool little video. Mm. It's not out yet, but you can, of course, if you Google it and go onto mm. YouTube, have a little look at the clip. But he's recording it in a pair of blacked out, obviously, mm. sunglasses inside in a dark room. Yeah, and he's, he's now apparently the next rap star and this is mm. going to be his new career. It is the start of the new craze foot rap, or if you're in the States, sock rap, which <laughs> is uh, you know, a lovely blend, delicate blend of football and rapping at the same time. I'm sure we're going to be having this chat soon, though, because World Cup, we're going to need World Cup songs. And if, no, if there's no good contenders, we're going to yeah. do one, girls. But on that note, I will wrap us up and stop <laughs> gassing on. Brilliant. Thank you very much for listening this week. Remember, we are out every single Thursday. Keep an eye on our Twitter page, at OffsideRulePod, and our website we've got brand new blogs and all sorts of treats coming your way there offsiderulepodcast.com but for now it's goodbye from us three bye bye the female take on football